Okay, uh, morning fam, good to be together. Thanks for those who are uh, joining us. Uh, you know, before before we get going, I just want to encourage us with all these live streams we're doing just to, to make sure, you know, we got to embrace the imperfections of technology. So at some point, something's going to freeze or something's not going to go right. This is obviously not our uh, preference of how we meet together, but uh, you know, just embrace it and it's just good to be together. Uh, either way, however we can make it happen. So uh, before we we start, uh, just a couple announcements. So Lawrence uh, and Kansas City both separately, uh, we're going to be having congregational midweeks this Wednesday. Um, and so more information is going to be sent out to you uh, as that day approaches. So be on the lookout there. And uh, those are going to be over Zoom. So if you don't have the Zoom app, I'd encourage you to go ahead and download it. Uh, because a lot of our meetings during this time will be over it. Um, and then on Thursday, we're having a day of prayer and fasting for all of our churches in our fellowship. And this is just praying for everything that's going on in the world right now. Um, and then, you know, make sure if, you, if you're able to, I know that there's, there's a lot of uncertainty and challenges going on right now, but if you're able to give online and continue to do so during this time, that really helps the church continue to, uh, uh, to move forward. Uh, so remember to do that. Um, but man, I got to tell you guys, um, I miss you guys. I would give, man, I'd give a lot to be able to just meet together, to be able to hug each other, to be able to commune together, to be able to sing together. Oh, I can't wait till we can come back together and sing. Even the awkward songs that we don't do very well, that I don't really like, even those songs, I would, I'd give so much to come together and worship. Um, and I think it's times like these that, you know, it helps us grow in our appreciation of what we really have in Christ. Uh, it makes me think about 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3. Paul says, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day. I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. You know, and usually when we read these letters, right, most of us start in verse like four or five, right? You skip over that intro part because it's kind of the, but guys, we got to remember a lot of these letters were written from Paul in prison while he's isolated from being with his brothers and sisters. And so I think we can understand a little bit more that desperation, that longing, you know, what Paul would give to be with his brothers and sisters. You know, in Romans 1 verse 8, he says again, first, I thank my God, through Jesus Christ, for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit, in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. I long to see you, so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. And so I think now more than ever before, we can, we can understand a little bit better Paul's heart here to his brothers and sisters around the world. And I can't wait to, gather, uh, wait to come together when all this is resolved, whenever that is, and just be together, worship together. And so uh, it, it, it is good to be together over live stream, though, this morning. My aim for today, with everything that's going on in the world, is to provide... A message of hope um, and so 
if you're joining us for the first time, we're going to be continuing our series through the book of Daniel. Uh, we started that about four weeks ago, and we're going to be continuing it for about the next four weeks. Uh, I'd strongly urge you to go back. You can go on our website and, and watch the first three uh, sermons from the book of Daniel. And Daniel, it's, it is an incredible book. It's my favorite book in the Bible, um, and I don't know if there could be a better timing for us to study out Daniel than right now. Um, and so I hope that uh, Daniel can provide us with the same inspiration and hope that God intended for it to provide for his people hundreds of years ago. Um, now, I know some of you are just now jumping on our live stream and you're late even to the live stream. Okay, there's no traffic, there's no commute, you don't have to get your kids ready for anything, and you're still late to the live stream. So, uh, if that's you, you're hopeless, and you're just always going to be late. But, uh, we're all here together, so I'm going to recap what we've learned up to this point from Daniel, from our series, before we get going into today, okay? So, remember, Daniel takes place in the 6th century B.C. in Babylon. Before Daniel, around 1000 BC, Israel was in the glory days under David and Solomon, right? David, Solomon, they did nothing but win victories over all their enemies, expand their territory, their economy, uh, their world influence. That, that was the height of Israel. But that's followed by the kingdom splitting in two and, you know, decades and generations and hundreds of years of uh, rebellion and disobedience and idolatry. And so God was so patient through all that. And he was protecting them from all these other world empires around them. And he was continually uh, watching out for them. He was continually patient. Uh, but after so many years of rebellion, he eventually had to let them learn the hard way, like a good parent does. And so he pulls that protection and eventually... Uh, the kingdoms are destroyed. Babylon takes captives uh, for the first time in around 600, 605 B.C. Okay, so uh, the book of Daniel takes place in Babylon during that time. Uh, and Daniel, why it was written, it was written to be a message of hope for the upcoming years. Because from Daniel on, for the next several centuries, God's people... We're going to be passed around between these major world empires, and they would undergo terrible suffering. And so Daniel was a book that they could hold on to. His life was an example. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel were such incredible examples of remaining faithful through those challenging times. And these visions given to Daniel that we're actually going to study out today, uh, they were meant to be this message of hope that God is sovereign. And so I know you're going through incredibly challenging times, but do not lose your faith and remain hopeful because God rules the nations. And so there's, there's two phrases that I really want us to memorize that really, I think, capture the, uh, the, the book of Daniel. The first one is stand firm, do not fear. You know, the book of Daniel, Daniel and his, and his friends, they have these incredible moments where they're put in a situation to either die possibly or compromise just a little bit in their faith and they all were so resolved to stand their ground and stand firm and not compromise and not budge and last week we looked at Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and we looked at their stubborn faith 
and how they refused to bow down to the image that Nebuchadnezzar had built, uh, even if it meant death, right? And that, that incredible line of, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, we want you to know that our God is able to rescue us. They had the faith to know that their God was able to rescue them. But even if he doesn't, we are still not going to give in. We're still not going to sell out and we're not going to compromise in our faith and bow down. And so for years to come, God's people that faced death under the, the Greek kingdoms, under the, the Roman rule, they would look back at these stories and inspiration that I am not going to bow down. I am not going to give in. I'm not going to compromise, even if that means death. And I have faith that my God can rescue me. So that's the first phrase. All right. Stand firm. Do not fear. The second phrase that, that we've got to memorize is do not fear. God is sovereign. And this second phrase captures the visions and the prophecies that, that we see in the, book, in the book of Daniel. Because throughout it, Daniel is given these incredible visions and dreams. And basically, you know, we, we have the blessing of hindsight and history. And what we can see is that God gave Daniel a history book of the future. You know, these visions outline with incredible detail some of what was going to take place regarding the, the world empires over the course of the next 600 plus years. And so today, we are going to look at one of those visions, one of these incredibly faith-building, accurate prophecies that Daniel uh, has in a dream from God. And I hope that as we study through it, it can provide us with that same type of hope that we have nothing to fear because our God is sovereign. Our God rules the nations. He is working behind the scenes. And my prayer is that we would feel a sense of hope that God's people felt hundreds of years ago from these same visions from the book of Daniel. Okay, so today you can go ahead and turn over to uh, Daniel chapter 7. That's where we're going to be. So go ahead and uh, raise your hand. If you are not a huge fan of history and you find it incredibly dry and boring, okay? So I don't see any hands raised, so I'm going to work under the assumption that everybody loves history and we're so fired up to dig into some world history this morning. But, uh, you know, I'm kidding, but here's the deal, guys. I know some of you find world history boring. You find Roman history boring. Uh, but if you can endure learning a little bit of history. If you can stick in there mentally and try to grasp some of this, I think you will be richly rewarded. I think you, you know that your faith is going to be built in God and in his word. Okay, you may find yourself tempted to check out. You may find yourself wondering what in the world am I talking about? It may not make sense. It may be going in one ear and out the other. Just hang in there. Okay, stick with it. And if you do, your faith has an opportunity to be built and your understanding and depth of knowledge of God's word will increase so much. Okay, teens, if you're watching, I remember being a teen uh, sitting there watching, uh, you know, different preachers teach through, you know, some deeper stuff and just totally checking out and having no idea what they were talking about. But even you hang in there because later in life, it's going to connect. Okay. Uh, and parents with young kids, I would go ahead and just lock them in a room for the next 20 or 30 minutes 
so that you can try to focus, okay? But uh, if not, you can always go back and watch the video later, all right? But uh, the title of my sermon today is Four Great Beasts. So let's go ahead and go to God in prayer, and then we'll be in Daniel chapter 7. God, it's great to be together this morning. Uh, Father, it's been hard not being together in person, but it's also been so cool seeing how you're working, seeing Bible studies go on online, seeing midweeks happening, seeing uh, prayer times happening, you know, over technology. God, I'm so grateful that we still can connect, and God, I'm so grateful for your word. I'm so grateful for the book of Daniel. I'm so grateful for a time like this. We can look back and find hope and that our faith in you can increase with so much uncertainty going on in our world right now. God, please open our hearts and our minds to understand your word this morning. I pray that each one of us would feel uh, an encouragement and inspiration. Uh, God, we love you. Help your word to come to life this morning. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Okay. A couple things to keep in mind. These visions in Daniel, they're written in apocalyptic writing. Okay, so you, you see a lot of weird, you know, horns and beasts and the sea and the winds and different numbers and all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, apocalyptic writing uses those things to represent other things. Uh, and so we're going to look through some of those things. Um, but we don't necessarily know exactly why God decided to use apocalyptic writing. It could be for dramatic effect. It could also be to protect Daniel and God's people, right? I don't know how well Daniel would have been treated if he would have had a, a letter or written down in his diary all the exact names of the exact kings and when their reign was going to end and all that kind of stuff. So um, we don't exactly know why, but we are dealing with some apocalyptic writing. So just keep that in mind. And uh, an important day remember, this vision takes place around... Five or 553 BC. Okay, 553 BC. That's that's when this is going on. Okay, so let's let's read in Daniel chapter seven and start in verse one. In the first year of Belshazzar, Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was laying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, "In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me." were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came out of the sea. The first was like a lion. It had four wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being, and the mind of human was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its side, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, get up and eat your fill of the flesh. After that, I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back, it had four wings like those of a bird. And this beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. And after that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, that came up among them. 
And three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human and a mouth that spoke boastfully. Okay, when you read these, you know, no one has a quiet time over chapters like these, right? Because uh, you read these and you're like, what was Daniel, you know, smoking in Babylon? That's kind of what it feels like. Uh, because he has this crazy dream. These four beasts rise up out of the sea. There's a lion with eagle's wings, but then those eagle's wings are ripped off and the lion eagle anamorphs into a human. Shout out to all my animorph fans out there. And then there's another beast. This bear raises up and it's raised up on one side and it has three ribs in between its teeth. This is followed by another beast that looks like a leopard. It's got four wings of birds and four heads, and it's given authority to rule. But then there's this fourth beast that captures Daniel's attention so much, uh, and it's only described as terrifying and fearful and powerful. And it comes out, and it has ten horns. But then all of a sudden, there's this little horn that raises up, and it speaks boastfully. Uh, and so Daniel couldn't shake this vision of the fourth beast. He, he can't get it off its mind. It's troubling him. We read later that this dream left Daniel physically and mental, uh, mentally, emotionally just troubled and worn out. But he can't shake this fourth beast. So he goes to what we assume to be an angel and he asks him, hey, tell me more about this fourth beast. So let's look in verse uh, 19. Look in verse 19 of Daniel chapter 7. So then I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying with its iron teeth and bronze claws and the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up before which three of them fell, the horn that looked more imposing than the others and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. And as I watched... This horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them. Verse 23, it says, he gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are the ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times, and half a time. Okay, so this is where, guys, we've got to dig into some world history. All right, so buckle up. Because we're going to study a little bit of world history, but a lot of Roman history. That's really what we're going to be looking at today. And so remember, once again, this vision, this dream of Daniel's is taking place around 553 B.C. Okay, so we've got these four beasts. Let me break this down a little bit. Here's the deal even. You don't even have to take notes because all of this is recorded. You don't have to try to memorize all these dates and names and kingdoms. What you've really got to do is just soak in what I'm saying and what I'm teaching, because what we're going to see is just how incredibly accurate this vision is to Daniel in 553 BC. 
Okay, so we're dealing with four beasts, and we know from Daniel 2 that we studied out a couple weeks ago with that statue, we're dealing with four kingdoms, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. Okay, the first, we're dealing with Babylon, and Nebuchadnezzar was its greatest, greatest ruler. Uh, Babylon destroys God's people, takes them captive. Jeremiah 48 describes Babylon as an eagle spreading its wings. Okay, and so it makes sense why Babylon here is described as a lion with eagle's wings. But then these wings are ripped off and it's transformed into a human. And I think it's fair to assume, you know, Nebuchadnezzar eventually ends up humbling himself and honoring the God of Daniel. And so, uh, you know, he goes from kind of destroying God's people to really honoring God. Uh, and so I think that's what Daniel's talking about here with this beast that transforms with a human mind and a human heart, really. Um, so then we're dealing with this second beast that's described as this bear with one side raised up and three ribs in its mouth from kingdoms it had devoured. Okay, and so after Babylon comes Cyrus the Great as he establishes the Great Persian Empire. But Persia was actually a dual empire with the Medes. Cyrus kind of united them, and so you have this dual empire of the Persians and the Medians, but the Persian side of this empire was so much greater. And so that describes this one side being raised up over the other. Now, this is what's incredible. In 546 BC, Persia conquered Lydia. In 539 BC, Persia destroyed Babylon. And in 524 BC, Persia destroyed Egypt. Three of the other kind of powerful kingdoms in the world at that time, Persia devoured them as it sets up itself as up to that point, one of the greatest world powers, you know, up to that point in history. So it makes sense then why this beast was described as a beast with one side raised up and three ribs in its mouth. Okay, and then we look at this third beast, it's described as a leopard that has four wings and four heads, okay? After Persia came the Greek kingdom. In 335 BC, Alexander the Great begins his incredible conquest. He expands the Greek empire, but then he dies a little over a decade later. His empire was too vast for one person to rule. His son was basically a baby, so he sure wasn't going to rule it. And so these four generals rise up, and the kingdom is split into four. And we're going to go into a ton more detail about Greece next week in Daniel chapter 8. So I think it's fair to describe this kingdom as a kingdom that has four heads. Okay, so let's, let's take a time out, take a deep breath, do some stretches if you need to. We just covered a lot there. But guys, we've also got to let it sink in what we just read. In 553 BC, God just described in incredible detail what was going to take place regarding the next world powers that were about to raise up 200 years before they even occurred. This is incredible, guys. We've got to try to let this soak in. But if your faith isn't increased already, it's about So we know that this fourth beast with iron teeth and claws that devours its victims and rules the world. Right. That, that's what we're dealing with here. 
And it's said that this beast has 10 horns. But then there's this little horn, this 11th horn that raises up. He speaks boastfully. He speaks against the Most High. And he wages war against the saints. And he tries to change the set times and laws. Okay. Let's get into a little bit of Roman history here. So, the Roman Empire was originally a republic. It was run, it was led by a senate that was elected by all the people. Okay? So around the first century BC, you had a few of these powerful uh, generals that began to take rule of Rome based on their own private, you know, personal armies. Okay? They kind of take over Rome by force. And so Julius Caesar, we know him to be kind of the greatest of these. But then Brutus and Cassius assassinate Julius Caesar to defend Rome, the Republic. And then Octavius and Mark Antony fight Brutus and Cassius. There's a Roman civil war. You know, Brutus and Cassius are overthrown. You know, they're, they're destroyed. Mark Antony, Octavius, they win. Okay, and then... Mark Antony and Octavius fight each other about a decade later. So basically, everyone's just fighting everyone over who gets to rule Rome. That's what's going on here. Okay, so Octavius eventually kind of establishes himself and he takes power over Rome and over the Senate in 27 BC for good. Okay, and so Octavius is really known as the first Roman emperor. All right. So, there's a little backdrop. Now, let's fast forward about 100 years, and let's talk about a Roman emperor named Domitian. Okay, Domitian was known for his extreme arrogance. He demanded that people refer to him as a god, as lord, as master. Okay? He was so arrogant that he tried to change the, the month of September and October to be named after himself. Okay. Uh, for those of you that didn't know, August. Okay. August is named after Caesar Augustus. July is named after Julius. So, you know, there are months in our calendar that are named after great Roman emperors. But other people named those months after them after they had died. Domitian changed, this dude was so arrogant, um, he changed not just the calendar, he tried to change the Roman law and basically overthrow the whole legal system to give himself authority to, to, to choose all the senators. Like, he, he tried to change everything basically just to set himself up as this god. Nobody liked Domitian, not even Romans liked Domitian, okay? But aside from his arrogance, Domitian is also known as one of the greatest persecutors of the church. He wasn't the first. Nero was probably the first Roman emperor to persecute the church, but that just was for a time and mainly in, in Rome. Domitian was the first to establish an empire-wide attack to systematically wipe out the church. And so many Christians during his time were exiled or taken from their homes or even murdered. And so for the first century church, Domitian was a terribly 
horrifying oppressor. But like I said, nobody liked Domitian. Okay, eventually he was assassinated after he died. Roman society, uh, if you were an extremely arrogant person in Roman society, you were known as a Domitian. Okay, so you know you have an incredibly arrogant reputation if after your death, people who are arrogant are referred to as Domitians, okay? Nobody liked Domitian. And when he died, the Senate held a special meeting and they voided all of his laws, every change he made, and they wiped out his name from any inscription or image around Rome. So Domitian was wiped out. Okay, so I started by talking about Octavius, and then we just talked about Domitian. So I'm going to put a list up here of Roman emperors. And these are a list of all the Roman emperors from Octavius to Domitian. And I will let you take a guess at how many emperors there are from Octavius all the way to Domitian. And if you're at home and it's all working and the screams popped up, you're able to look and see that there were 10 Roman emperors followed by an 11th that was totally arrogant. He tried to change all the laws. He tried to change the calendar. Look again in Daniel chapter 7, verse 23. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms. It will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings that will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times, and half a time. Do you guys just realize what we just read? In 553 BC, God just laid out to Daniel in extremely accurate detail what was going to take place over the next 600 plus years. I mean, think about this. In 553 BC, God told Daniel, hey, after Babylon, there's going to be a kingdom that has two sides. One of them is going to be greater than the other, and it's going to devour three kingdoms before it. And then after that beast, another kingdom is going to rise up, but it's going to be divided into four. And then after that beast, there's going to be a beast that comes, a kingdom that comes that's more terrible than any before it. It's going to rule the world like iron. It's going to crush and devour its victims. And then there's going to be 10 kings. And after the 10th king, there's going to be an 11th king that raises up. It's going to be arrogant. He's going to try to change the times. He's going to try to change the laws. And he's going to wage war against God's people and speak boastfully against the Most High. In 553 BC, 600 years, God gives Daniel insight into what's going to take place in the future. And guys, keep in mind, in 553 BC, Rome was just a little insignificant city-state that many people may not have even heard of. Okay, I can't read your faces, all right? So I don't know if you're either asleep or if your minds have been blown, okay? Uh, when I read this stuff, 
Guys, my faith in God is built so much. Guys, when we hold this, this book, when we read God's word, this isn't just, it's not just this old book filled with rules and filled with old stories and filled with restrictions. We're holding a book that contains historical facts that were predicted hundreds of years before it even took place. Do not fear. God is sovereign. If that doesn't build your faith that the Bible is the inspired word of God and that God is ruling nations, I don't know what will. But here's the coolest part. We haven't even read the best part of this vision Daniel's given. Look in Daniel 7 and verse 9. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, the hair of his head was white like wool, his throne was flaming with fire, its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before it. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousands times ten thousands stood before him. The court was seated and the book was opened. Then I continued to watch before this boastful, the boastful words this horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain, its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts have been uh, stripped of their authority, but they were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days. He was led into his presence, and he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And I get chills every time I read this portion of this vision. Because as, the, as these evil beasts, as these kingdoms were rising, when, when things looked its darkest, the book was open and judgment was, was there. And when things looked the most grim, there was hope. When things looked the darkest, light breaks in. Daniel sees Jesus. I mean, how incredible is this? Imagine being Daniel, as far removed from the church as he was, and he sees Jesus. He sees the Messiah in all his glory, in all his power, in all his authority, and he sets up a kingdom and an authority that would never be destroyed. That's incredible. And guys, how, how lucky are we to be a part of that kingdom today? And in such a time of uncertainty in our world, how much hope does it provide for us that we are a part of a kingdom that will endure forever and that will never fail? And so when you look at these visions, when you study these, these prophecies, these dreams from Daniel, it's kind of like, what's the point? Because remember, th these weren't just cool party tricks that God kind of you know, did for no random reason. For centuries to come, guys, 
God's people would endure some of the most challenging situations at the hands of these empires. And they would be able to look back to Daniel and look back to these visions to find hope. Greece, you may be powerful and you may be destroying God's people right now, but my God is more powerful. Rome, you may think you rule the world. You may think you're going to wipe out the church. But my God is sovereign and he has established a kingdom that is never going to end and it's never going to perish. Guys, think of the hope that this would have brought for God's people that were enduring the oppression from these different rulers. You know, I don't know about you guys. I don't know if you guys are reading the news articles like I am. I try to limit how much I read because it can kind of be depressing. You know, but some of them are best case scenarios and some of them are worst case scenarios. And all of them, they say a bunch of stuff. They interview a bunch of, you know, doctors and leaders and they, you know, there's all these scientific facts. But then at the end, they all basically say, we'll see what happens. A.K.A. we have no idea what's going to happen. And I think that's the reality of this situation and that's kind of what makes it so tough is there's so much uncertainty right now. But guys, the brightest, most brilliant minds in our world right now, they've got some information, but the reality is they have no idea what's going to happen a month from now, a week from now, a day from now, an hour from now. Yet God just laid out in 553 BC what was going to take place of the world empires that was going to take place 600 years into the future. Guys, why would we put our hope in any other kingdom other than the kingdom that God has established? Why on earth, what reason do we have to put our faith, to put our trust, to find our joy from any other king other than King Jesus that came down with all authority and that would never be overthrown? You know, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but as the political season approaches, as campaign season approaches, even right now, we're going to, you know, we're, we're going to see a whole bunch of craziness and a whole bunch of stupid. OK, stupid is going to be on full display. Uh, but here's the deal. It doesn't matter who you vote for, who you think is the smartest, who you think is the best leader. They all are just kings that are going to rise and fall and come and go. And all the kingdoms of this world, they're going to raise up and they're going to be torn down. And I think what we can find our hope in is that God is working behind all of it. You know, Daniel chapter 2, Daniel praises God and he basically says, you, you raise kings up and you decide when it's time for them to fall. I'm not trying to say that any of our leaders or politicians are, are going to fall. I'm not trying to say that our nation is going to fall. I'm not trying to say, uh, let's not be respectful of our politicians or our world leaders. I'm not, I'm not saying any of that. My point is, don't tie your faith and your hope to that. Our faith and our hope should be in the God that we serve, that is sovereign, the God that we serve that rules the nations, the God that is working behind the scenes through all of this. And it's through, as we start to wrap up here, it's through 
Daniel and visions and prophecies like this that we learn a really important lesson. And that's that suffering will take place, but suffering will not endure. There is going to be suffering that takes place in our world. But the suffering won't last. And no matter what we face in this world, no matter what evil comes our way, no matter what challenges are right there in front of us, we have hope because God is sovereign. He's working behind the scenes to orchestrate all of it. And so the suffering won't endure, the suffering won't last, but I think we've got to ask ourselves, will you? Through these challenging times, through these uncertain times, will your faith endure through them? You know, the book of Daniel, there's several parallels from what we see in the book of Revelation as well. And it reminds me of a verse in chapter 13. And basically what's going on there is uh, God basically, you know, it, it's shown that God is so powerful and so sovereign. You know, he, he, he takes down Satan without even a fight or a struggle. I mean, the, the spiritual battle is, is nothing. God, God is so powerful. But Satan is thrown down and he's attacking the world and the people in it. And so while God is all powerful, there was going to be some suffering that took place. And I love what he says in Revelation 13 and verse 10. In the midst of all this suffering that goes on, it says, this calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. And I think that that's such an applicable verse for us during this time. There's going to be suffering that goes on. I don't know what's going to happen in the upcoming weeks or months. But what we, we do have hope is that the suffering won't endure. But as God's faithful people, we have to endure. We can't lose our hope. We can't throw away our faith during times like this. This Times like this require patience and endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. Guys, during this, we've got to learn how to suffer well. God's people throughout history have had to suffer different challenges. We have got to learn and wrestle and struggle to be able to suffer well, to suffer through it, to endure through it. So guys, don't throw away your faith. We have hope to hold on to because we serve a God that is sovereign. He rules the nations. He's working behind the scenes. And as terrible as times might be, when things oftentimes seem their darkest, that's usually when light breaks in. And the suffering and the challenging times won't last, but as God's people, we've got to bear down, and we've got to patiently and faithfully endure suffering and suffer well. And so in a second here, I'm going to close with reading from Daniel chapter 4 and then closing us out in a prayer. But before I do, I just want to remind us, you know, do what you can to take communion with your family. Uh, if you're going to be going to the stores, uh, in the upcoming days, you know, maybe you grab some communion supplies just in case. Um, and then lastly, you know, don't forget to uh, give online. Um, okay, but Daniel, Daniel chapter 4, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, he's the king of Babylon, and he just he kind of gets arrogant. And it describes that he's standing over the empire, the kingdom. He's standing and looking out over Babylon, and he's kind of feeling himself a little bit. And he says, man, is not this the great Babylon that I have built with my hands and by my 
mighty power. And so we know, obviously, God is raising these kingdoms up. And so God basically says, okay, sorry, Nebuchadnezzar, enough, your time's up. And he just totally humbles Nebuchadnezzar. But then eventually Nebuchadnezzar humbles out. He acknowledges that God is the most sovereign. And he, he, he reads this. You know, he says this prayer here in Daniel chapter 4. I think it's so applicable and describes God's, God's sovereignty so well. In verse 34 of Daniel chapter 4, it says, At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and with the peoples of earth. No one can hold back his hand or say, what have you done? In verse 37, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. So guys, it's, it's, it's been great connecting this morning. I, I hope this all made sense. And I hope that your understanding of the book of Daniel, but also really just in the sovereignty of God has, has increased. I, I hope that our faith has been built. Uh, and I hope that this has been a message of hope and that we can look through the book of Daniel to find and hold on to that hope that whatever is going on in life right now, God is sovereign. We have nothing to be afraid of. Uh, and so, guys, I love you. Can't wait. I don't know when it'll be, but I can't wait till we can all be together again to worship God together. Uh, and so we'll be back here next week, same time, 1030. We'll be going through uh, more of the book of Daniel. I love you guys. Let's go ahead and, and go to God in prayer as we close out. Father, thank you once again just for the opportunity to connect. Uh, God over means of technology. And God, thank you for your word. Thank you for hindsight that we can look back and just understand how incredible these prophecies are. God, thank you for Daniel, for his faith, for his resilience, for his endurance. God, I pray that through this time in our world, God, that we would cling to you and that we could hold on to a hope that you rule the nations, that you are in control, that you are working behind the scenes, that you run the show. God, I pray that we can hold on to faith, that we can patiently endure. God, we know that although suffering takes place, suffering will not last. And when things often seem darkest, you are working and light oftentimes breaks in. God, I'm so grateful to be a part of your kingdom that will never end. And I'm so grateful for Jesus. So grateful for his example, for how much he loved us, enough to come down, to live a perfect life, to be crucified for our sins to atone for our sins, to be raised back up. I'm so grateful to be able to follow him. God, we love you so much. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. Guys, I love you. Have a great rest of the day.